My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Marty Wexler and Claire McNeil. In Nova Scotia, many people with disabilities continue to be given no choice but to live in institutions. Often, these institutions are not in their home communities and can be far from family and friends. And always they have the impact of segregating disabled people and of forcing them to live institutionalized lives when, with the proper supports, they would be perfectly capable of living in the community. Many of these institutions are located in small, rural communities, and some on the same sites as the poor houses of an earlier generation. Until 1995, these institutions were funded and governed by municipalities. When the provincial government took them over in that year, there was great hope among disability activists that this would lead to greater funding, more supports, and a speedy process of deinstitutionalization. Instead, the province instituted a de facto moratorium on the development of new support services for people with disabilities. In 2000, the province commissioned a consultant to examine the situation. The consultant's report made a number of solid recommendations that disability advocates felt positive about, and which the province promptly refused to implement. In response, a number of individuals as well as representatives of organizations came together and held an emergency meeting. They organized a rally and march on the legislature by more than 300 people soon after, but that was not enough to prompt the province to change its position. The people at that initial meeting became the nucleus of what would eventually become the Disability Rights Coalition of Nova Scotia, a cross-disability coalition of individuals and organizations that has at this point been fighting for almost two decades to convince their provincial government to stop institutionalizing people with disabilities and to fund the supports necessary for them to live as part of their communities. In the years since that first demonstration, the coalition has done many different kinds of work. They've regularly lobbied politicians, They've done extensive media work, they've intervened in elections, they've done public education, both with their own members and with the public at large. They've used legal and political means to support individuals in their fights to get out of institutions, and often they've won at that individual level. Yet at the policy level, the government has engaged in a familiar cycle of consultation, research, report writing, and either inaction or action too slow and small to substantially address the problem. The coalition, however, has refused to let the issue rest, and in response to their consistent advocacy, in 2013, the government of the day introduced what was described as a roadmap, so an actual concrete plan, to the development of suitable community-based services. Subsequently, all political parties in Nova Scotia have endorsed the roadmap, yet six years later, very little has actually changed on the ground. Since 2015, the single biggest focus for the coalition's work has been a human rights case. Three individuals who had been unnecessarily institutionalized brought complaints against the provincial government to the Nova Scotia Human Rights Commission, while as part of the same process, the coalition brought a complaint alleging systemic human rights violations. 
The case was hotly contested by the province, and a decision was only handed down in March of this year. The individuals all won. However, there is relatively little precedence of Canadian tribunals or courts finding systemic discrimination and the systemic case lost. The coalition, with support from a few national disability rights organizations, is filing an appeal. Marty Wexler is a social worker. He was one of the founding members of the coalition and has been centrally involved in its work from the very start. Claire McNeil is a lawyer. She's been involved in a number of cases challenging institutionalization in Nova Scotia and for many years now has been an advisor to the coalition. I speak with them about the unnecessary institutionalization of people with disabilities in Nova Scotia and about the two decades of work by the Disability Rights Coalition to challenge institutionalization and to push for supports for disabled people to live in the community. My name is Marty Wexler. I'm a social worker by training and I've been involved with the coalition first under its start as the Kendrick Report Coalition back in 2001. He's being too modest. Marty's one of the founding members of the Disability Rights Coalition, formerly known as the Kendrick Coalition. And I would say that through the lifespan of this coalition, you've been definitely one of the people at the forefront. For my own part, I'm a lawyer. I've worked as a lawyer for legal aid, and I've done that for many years. In the early days of the coalition, one of their members reached out and said, we'd like you to come to a meeting. And that was the beginning of what's been a very long relationship with the coalition in terms of trying to provide some options and some strategies for dealing with what has really been terrible government indifference and refusal to act to address the needs and interests of people with disabilities in Nova Scotia. And I guess in terms of my own background, I had been separately, like in a parallel fashion, like Marty was working in the trenches in terms of trying to access services for people with disabilities. And I was working on the legal side, seeing clients coming to me who were being forced into institutions unnecessarily because there were no other community options available to them. So this was a battle that was being fought also individually on the legal front. This, you know, forced people to move far from their home, their family, their communities, because these institutions tend to be in remote rural areas. And so we were getting pushed to find other solutions. So that's kind of how I came to the problem. Let's start with the context uh, a ways before the coalition got started. How did the system work before 1995? And how did that feed into the founding of the coalition? The province, I don't know, I think it was unlike other provinces in the sense that here in Nova Scotia, it was a very old style system here mm -hmm. where municipalities had great responsibilities for the delivery of social services and especially when it came to people with disabilities. Municipalities ran services. If you came from a small community in rural Nova Scotia and your name was Scott and you needed to move into a home in the community, they would actually bring your name to town council and say, so this guy, Scott, what kind of family does he come from? Should we really support him or not? Which most of us found quite unethical, but it was the way this province dealt business in their municipalities. And although the services were not phenomenally extensive, they had grown quite rapidly from a period of about 1978 to 1995 in terms of the province. A lot of people were being moved into the community and kept out of institutions. So we got to 1995 when the province was taking over, and we were very hopeful because we figured, okay, the province is taking over. They have a lot more money than municipalities have, especially some of the small ones. We expected to see some real development. So we were hopeful when the province took over, but lo and behold, they went the opposite way. 
the hope was that that was going to like increase the capacity and the money and everything was going to start to get even better. And the opposite happened. Instead, the government put in what they called a moratorium. It was a complete freeze on mm -hmm. any new services for people with disabilities to enable them to live in community. They put a complete moratorium on the development of any services. So that wasn't only in terms of where people lived, it was also in terms of supportive workshops and shelters and education and teachers getting extra help in classrooms. Everything was basically frozen at that time. The moratorium went in in 95 and then in 2000 they ordered this report. That's when Dr. Michael Kendrick was hired to come in and do an independent review of service delivery in the province of Nova Scotia. The collection of the information for the board was a lot of consultations done by Michael throughout the province with a number of different groups and individuals. So everybody was hopeful because we knew him, we knew the kind of beliefs and ideology that he was coming in with. So we weren't surprised when we came out in the report, but the government seemed to be. So the report comes out. It's a good report. There's some real basic kind of recommendations in the report that we'd really like to see you move forward on. And basically, the government just said, no, we're not going to do it. And it was kind of a crisis situation, wasn't it, Marty, at that point? You guys have been waiting five years for this because the moratorium went in in 95 and then in 2000 they ordered this report and then you wait and wait and they come back and they say, and, we're not going to do it. There was institutions that needed to be torn down. Physically, they were falling apart and you had people overcrowded. You had people on the streets. Essentially, most of your homeless were people with disabilities and there was a real push to try and get the province to do something. How did folks start getting together to push the province? I've been trying to remember exactly how we did it. I could think of some individuals from different organizations like the Canadian Association for Community Living, the Nova Scotia branch. There must have been 25 to 30 of us who got together because we deal with a province that could be quite revengeful. So everybody was scared to say something as an individual group because they all received funding through the province for something. So the coalition, in a sense, became, well, how can we bring our voice forward without anybody being picked apart as an individual? And we decided at that meeting, I remember it was the north end of Dartmouth, that we were going to have a structure with a chair or a leadership would be like a rotating chair. And whoever wanted to speak, we would pass the gavel around and that person would talk because it was a lot of leaders and not very many followers within that group of 25 to 30. So nobody trusted who was going to take over and do anything. So then we organized a rally, an education session, where we actually brought Michael Kendrick back to Halifax to talk about his report so other people could be more aware of it, because it was a 200-page report, which most people hadn't read. Even getting through the executive summary it could be difficult. And from that rally, we ended up marching on the legislature. So there were about 300 people who marched from Kennard Street, where we held it at Allegiant, down to the legislature. The Minister of Community Services came out and invited a few people into the Red Chamber, as they call it, to tell us there's no way in hell they're going to replace this report, <laughs> basically. And that was it. We basically left and started organizing ourselves about how we're going to deal with government and what we're going to do with this government. That's how we came together. And it was basically just grassroots. It was just people talking to each other from different organizations, advocacy groups, service providers, just individuals with disabilities who had all been experiencing and waiting for something to change. I'm sure there's far too much for us to talk about in any detail, but give listeners a big picture sense of what the coalition did and how things developed over the subsequent years. We ended up doing a few things. We ended up, I think that's how Claire got involved, taking individual complaints and fighting cases individual by individual. 
holding press conferences, going down to the legislature with individuals who were been living in institutions, complaining about the conditions in which they were living, family members going and meeting with their MLA, their government representative. And we did it individual by individual and case by case. That's how we started doing it. And we got positive results. We would get individuals changed. So then the province decided at one point that they were going to introduce eight-bed group homes to replace some of the institutions. And they were really excited about this and happy, and we were furious about it because we didn't consider those to be small enough community-based placements where people wanted to live. So we ended up protesting against those, and then those got stymied, and they stopped doing those. They only did about three or four of them. There were individuals who were coming forward, and often the government would resolve things with those individuals. Sometimes it went to court, and we had to pursue it through the legal process. One of the cases went all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada on the question of whether the court had the jurisdiction to determine where the person with disabilities would be placed, or whether that was just the decision to be made by the government. And that was positive when the court came back and said, no, the court should maintain jurisdiction over those kind of issues. Because that really was a rearguard effort to try and fight against people being sent to institutions because there was no other place for them to go. A lot of what we ended up doing was trying to educate the public and our own membership. And a big breakthrough was the Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities. Uh, And that is a United Nations convention that was adopted in 2006. When that happened, there was a bit of action here locally and people took an interest in it. And then I think the coalition really made that connection because that had been what you guys had been working on, especially Article 19 of that convention, which talks about people's right to be included in the community and so forth. And so that really provided a really good framework for your work at that point. I guess there's a couple of realizations. I think it was 2003, and the premier of Nova Scotia was John Hamm. I don't know, I remember even how we did it, but we got invited to their caucus meeting. And at the caucus meeting, we were discussing the need for the creation of more homes in the community, more supports for people, places to work and places to go and be included for recreation. And I remember him looking across the table and saying, well, how many people are we talking about? And my retort back to him was, That's the government's job to do. How are we supposed to know how many people in this province need supports? And if you don't know how many people need supports, how are you doing any planning for the people in this province? That ended the meeting. Pretty quickly afterwards, one of the things that did happen after that is that they let Mount St. Vincent University to do a study on people with disabilities and how many people are out there who would need supports in in the community over the next number of years. So some of the other things we've done over the years have basically been political fights. Every time there's been an election, we try and bring disability issues to the forefront. So we do a sort of an education campaign and provide literature for people to go in their home communities and work to bring those issues to the fore. Our realization is that basically it's going to be political will to change how services are delivered. The NDP got elected in 2009 and they were doing diddly squat. We were very disappointed because they had promised to do more. Again, they were doing studies, but they finally did act. In their last year before they got defeated, they introduced the transformation roadmap of how we would go forward for the development of services with a 10-year plan. It was just another report, but it did bump it forward. It bumped it forward with a plan. It did have a plan. And we had secured the promise of all the political parties to implement the report. But here we are, six years later, and very little has been done, so we continue to work on it. 
you know, they would set up an advisory committee and we would have some membership on it. And after a while, we withdrew our membership because it was no point. It was better off, we felt, to be on the outside criticizing what was going on than necessarily be on the inside. One of the strengths of this group is that you've drawn in groups and individuals and family members from across the province and across all disabilities. And it really brought people together from across the province with kind of a united perspective on this issue. We could talk with one voice because the tendency was to have one group competing against another for the same funds, develop the same kind of services. You guys have very little by way of the resources. One of the strengths is also one of your weaknesses. You get no provincial government funding. We don't get get funding from anybody except for somebody who wants to donate some money. We we used to have a membership fee, but organizations and individuals, for the most part, don't have much money to contribute. We do the work. Nobody gets paid. Tell me about the human rights case that's been the coalition's main focus over the last few years. What happened was after the roadmap was officially endorsed by all political parties in Nova Scotia, it became really clear that nobody was going to do anything to implement it. So very easy to make promises, to say all the right things, but nothing was happening. So at that point, there were a number of individuals, and in the end, three came forward to file individual human rights complaints. And the Disability Rights Coalition and the Elizabeth Fry group from Nova Scotia both applied to be complainants in this human rights process. And only the Disability Rights Coalition was approved by the Nova Scotia Human Rights Commission to take part in the complaint. It was a long process because the province of Nova Scotia is the respondent in this complaint and the Disability Rights Coalition's focus is on the issue of systemic discrimination. So it's really kind of a groundbreaking area in Canada. There haven't been a lot of decisions from tribunals or courts around actual systemic claims. And so the coalition bit off a lot when it filed that complaint. It went slowly because at first the province really tried to raise every obstacle it could, including filing two notices of appeal on an interim basis to try and slow it down. But ultimately, it did go to hearing. And they dragged their feet on releasing the information. Had to keep going back to the person who was appointed as the arbitrator to get them to release information so that we could actually review what they had on file. Yeah, so one of the challenges with a systemic complaint like this is that a lot of the information that we needed to support the complaint, like for instance, just take this issue of the moratorium, the so-called moratorium, that was the government's word for it, but we couldn't get any documentation about it, even though we had lots of quotations of people, you know, referring to it and talking about it as though it was a real thing. It wasn't until two or three years into the disclosure process that we had the government actually admitting that Mm -hmm. such a thing had existed and we started to get some documentation around it. As I recall, we had a deputy minister on the stand who said it only came to an end (laughs) two years ago. Not something that in the context of this litigation that they wanted to admit to because it's such a flagrant example of discrimination in action, right? So, you know, the government said, oh, well, we had some financial constraints or whatever, but where did the acts fall directly on not everybody with a disability, those with disabilities serious enough that required that they needed supports and services to live in the community. So it was pretty flagrant. What was the substance of the complaint? The complaint 
involved three individuals who I will say were successful in their claim. We got the board's decision on March 4th, and it found that the government officials involved had been indifferent to the point of contempt in dealing with the needs of these individuals. But the focus of the coalition was to look at the broader issues, because, of course, this isn't just something that affects three individuals, it affects hundreds of people in the province. And so we looked at the practices, the action and inaction by government over a course of 20 years in addressing the need for supportive housing. And the way it was discriminatory, we said, is that if you were poor and you didn't have a disability, you got assistance immediately as of right in the community of your choice. That's in legislation in Nova Scotia. Similar legislation exists in all provinces of Canada. So it was kind of like a comparison of poor to poor. And the only distinction was, but if you have a disability of this kind, you're not. You're going to be denied access to the supports and services that you need. And the other way in which we say it's discriminatory, and this is a more powerful argument in my view, and it's one that has been adopted in the U.S. in their Supreme Court. And they've viewed institutionalization itself as evidence of discrimination because it segregates people. So that's really been an important focus for the Disability Rights Coalition is to address the implications of unnecessary institutionalization for people who want to live in the community or capable of living in the community, offering an institution as their only option in order to get government supports and services, we say, as a form of discrimination giving them a place to live that's not in their home community, that may be very far from any kind of family or community connections they may already have, and then depriving them of the access to all the regular things that you take for granted in your life (laughs) because you're living in a community, starting with when to get up in the morning and what to have for breakfast. The best way I would describe it is that if you commit a crime, you go to jail and you're incarcerated for a specific period of time. And you basically have to live under certain controls and rules which are not yours and you have very limited choices. So if you're a person with a disability, you're basically going to be incarcerated because you don't have the skill sets to live in the community without supports. So it's not because you've done anything, it's by virtue of your disability. And I guess that's in a sense why it's discriminatory and it's why it's unjust. I mean, what kind of world do we live in that we want people who have a disability not to receive the supports that they need to live in the community, to basically become part of the social fabric in which we all get to enjoy. The Disability Rights (laughs) Coalition put forward evidence that was very much rejected by the Board of Inquiry about the prevalence of this mindset of ableism in our society. And I think the attitude towards institutions in Nova Scotia and the continued funding, they're 100% funded by our provincial government. Mm -hmm is a very clear example of ableism at work. So the individuals won, but from what I understand, the systemic part of the complaint lost at the tribunal. What options do you have to keep pushing it forward? So we filed a notice of appeal. Three national disability rights groups have applied to intervene in the appeal. They are the Council of Canadians for Disabilities and the the Association Community Living right. and People First of Canada. Yeah. And they were granted intervener status. So that really will be very interesting because their main interest and focus will be on this concept of systemic discrimination and specifically around unnecessary institutionalization of people with disabilities. 
So it didn't go, obviously, as we had hoped at the level of the hearing, but we're hoping we'll get a second opinion from the Nova Scotia Court of Appeal that will be more favorable. If you followed newspaper reports and public response and editorial comments, the public was fairly flabbergasted of the government's stance of how they've been treating people with disabilities for all these years. So I think we won in the sense of the hearts and minds of Nova Scotians. Now, whether or not that's going to have any effect in the long term, we don't know yet. Somehow we have to keep it in the force so that when the next election comes in a couple of years from now, we could push whatever political party gains power to actually implement the plan that's been in place for the last five or six years, which is to create a number of homes in the community with the proper supports. The plan that the province presently has is to do a few every year. At the rate they're going, you're never going to move very far forward because as many people get added to the wait list as they take off the wait list. So it's never going to change. And there's, what, 1,500 people on the wait list right now waiting to live in the community. So as a coalition, what has it been like trying to navigate between putting energies into legal strategies versus putting energies into political strategies? We basically do both. We may spend some time initially doing the legal strategy and the public strategy and then take a step back. I mean, most of our energy probably in the last few years was around the legal strategy. Although when the election was happening, we were dealing with the political strategy at that time. In a lot of sense, the legal strategy is being carried forward by our legal team. We're there to support them and help them with decisions, but we're not doing the groundwork and the day-to-day stuff. They're doing it which gives us the time to work on the other issues, political issues, and when you have a number of people and take on different functions. What big things does the coalition have coming up? I guess over the next four to six months, one is a continuation on the human rights hearing. We're going to be working on education of our membership for writing letters to their MLAs to push the letter that we sent to the Premier. There was an open letter written to the Premier. The DRC spearheaded it. And the numbers of organizations who signed on to that letter represented over 100,000 Nova Scotians right there who signed on to this open letter saying implement these changes as set out in the so-called roadmap from 2013. And the response we received, not from the Premier, but from the Minister of Community Services, which if I summarize it, it's a lot of the same, nothing really relevant, nothing really except we're working on it, we're making progress. So we want to pass that out to all the members and all the people who signed on to the letter that we sent to the premier. And we're going to be writing a template that we're going to provide to them to go out and talk to their individual MLAs. When you reflect back on it, I mean, there's been some progress made, but not as much progress as you should see over 20 years. I mean, 20 years is a generation. What frustrates so much is that Whenever this, and to me, it's a delaying tactic. But whenever the province wants to do something, well, we better go see what's going on in Ontario. Or we better go out and see what's going on in some place in the States. There's people here who've been involved in closing institutions. People have been involved in setting up homes in the community for the last 30 years. There's no need to go searching all over the place. The skill sets are here. The resources are here. And the willingness in the community to do it is here. You have been listening to my interview with Marty Wexler and Claire McNeil of the Disability Rights Coalition of Nova Scotia. To learn more about their work go to disabilityrightscoalitionns.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. <laughs>